Hello, Ted Buds. Hannah here again. We are here for our last episode of break before we get into season eight next week. This week, though, we're doing a little bit of a montage. We're going to share with you a bunch of different nuggets of nutrition wisdom from all of our past seasons. Emily and I sifted through our past episodes, and we're going to pick a few of our favorite nutrition tips that we've shared with you guys and put them all together in this one video. Whether it's about metabolism or certain diets or intuitive eating, we're going to have tips all across the board, just little nuggets for you to chew on until next week when we have brand new content coming. We hope you guys enjoy this one. One of the next ones is a little bit more specific. So this is something more so if you like to exercise in the morning, we do not recommend coming off of a fasting state into some type of like workout because when we eat, we supply the body with that glucose, that energy. And when you're coming off of however long, like 12 hour fast, 10 hour fast, however long it is, your body doesn't have that readily available glucose, that energy, because we ate many, many hours ago. So what happens is since the body does not have that readily available glucose, it actually starts burning through our glycogen stores from our muscle. It's easier to convert energy from muscle. And Ener- yeah, it's easier to convert muscle into energy rather than fat, which no one wants to hear that. Just kind of how the body likes to function and what its priority is kind of getting energy. It doesn't really care about what source it is. Um, But that's why one, we don't want to lose muscle mass in any situation. And then also when you do eat something small, it doesn't have to be something huge. I normally recommend, I think 15 grams of carb before a morning workout, whether that's like a Gatorade or a piece of fruit or some crackers or a toast, whatever it is. Uh, When we do eat, we're going to have improved energy levels during our workouts because we want to feel good during those as well as just overall better performance, whether that's lifting more, running faster, swimming faster, punching harder and kickboxing, I don't know. But that's another big thing I've seen where, cause I know I personally also like to get my workout. If I am, if I am going to work out <laughs> right now, we're in a little bit of a rut, but if I do partake, it will be, <laughs> it'll be in the morning and, um, Yeah. We want to give ourselves some type of fuel. Your body needs food for energy. And so like Emily said, if you go for a super long time, which you will, if you're sleeping for a good amount of time, and then you try to go do a workout, depending on like the strenuous strenuosity, (laughs) is that a word? The intensity of your workout. (laughs) (laughs) I've been talking for like 10 hours today. My, my words are gone. Um, (laughs) depending on the intensity of your workout, you likely will need a pretty good amount of glucose and the best way to get that to your body is to eat it. So yeah, yeah, we don't recommend fasted cardio or fasted exercise really in general no. for those reasons, like Emily listed. I want to talk about like practical hunger real quick, because there are some reasons that we eat besides just our body telling us, Hey, I need energy in the form of calories. Please feed me. We can also eat for what's called like taste hunger, where we eat because like we just have a craving for a certain taste. Um, We can eat for like emotional hunger, like if we are feeling stressed or tired or whatever. And we talk about that a lot and how, you know, it's not going to fix the emotion if you are eating out of an emotion, but 
it doesn't mean that it's not valid to ever eat because you feel a certain way. And then the other, the fourth type of hunger besides those three is called practical hunger. And this applies to breakfast because say you're someone who doesn't really feel hungry in the morning and you usually skip breakfast, but that does lead you to feel kind of snacky later in the day. You have that crazy blood sugar roller coaster, whatever. You might be one who practices this practical hunger component where maybe you do get something in the morning and we'll kind of go over some easy on the stomach options that would work well for you. Um, so you do not have that residual hunger later in the day. So you're not eating in the morning because you necessarily have that physical hunger, but you have practical hunger. And so you're eating to make sure that you don't have those negative effects down the road. Yeah. I practice this a lot recently since I've been kind of like, I just have been kind of feeling rushed in the morning. And so I often don't feel hungry, like right when I get up, and I know I can't like eat when I get to work. So I just start my work. So mm -hmm. I have been a big fan of doing like, as you guys probably know, if you follow me on social media, like the fair life shakes, I'm obsessed with those. And like this morning I did one of those and I do it over ice. And then I add a shot or two of espresso. So it's like a little latte. And then we always pair with carbs. So I will add like a piece of toast with that or fruit or like a little packet of oatmeal. Um, that way it's like a full balanced meal, but like protein shakes in general can be a really, really helpful thing. If you maybe don't feel super hungry, but you do want to practically eat something. So you don't end up having the negative, negative effects of skipping breakfast later in the day. And another kind of similar, I was about to say cousin, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> a cousin of the protein shake is just the smoothie. What? <laughs> a cousin. In the same family. I know, but I feel like cousin is like not <laughs> the family member I would have chosen. But anyway, carry on. I wish everyone understood how much stress affects their body we may we should probably do an episode about this we literally should we always talk about it it is crazy how much stress affects your body not only from like a weight standpoint but that's always one of the biggest concerns what everyone cares about yeah but stress is no bueno we say this so much it affects so much and inhibits so much as well and puts you your body into like those higher cortisol levels and these other factors this is why it's, this is my favorite part because it's not just food and exercise and like even if people are like oh yeah it's your weight too like there's a genetics component it's just huge the age hormones sleep you got to be sleeping well if your sleep well a lot of things are going to be off as well mm -hmm. and then your body composition like your distribution of whether like you have more like muscular mass compared to, I don't know what the average person, I could tell you any of those stats. I don't really <laughs> need to know, but like that kind of comparison, like someone who might be able a little bit like lower body fat compared to someone else. Yeah. That also plays a huge part. So like there's so much that goes into metabolism, especially these like different outputs that we're using to measure. And it's just not something that like and this might cause you stress to hear that too. Which you're like, oh my gosh, there are all these things I can't control. That's okay. Your body is wonderful. It's doing its best. Yeah. I always say it's kind it's, of a good thing that like it's handling all that. And we don't have to worry about it. It's like out of yeah. our hands. Yes. Like our bodies aren't these like fragile ecosystems where if we don't get the exact right number of calories in versus out, then we're going to just like crumble into the ground and turn into dust. No, 
we would probably be extinct by then. Yeah. By now, if that would, that your would body can handle, if you go over under calorie needs once you in a while do, yeah, you and you will, oh yeah, you're never going to be exactly at your TDEE. That'd be crazy. At least no. not like on a regular basis. Yeah. And it'd be hard to even know because of like the discrepancies in food yeah. labels and whatnot. Like only your body knows what your actual yeah. energy expenditure versus intake is. And we should thank it for that because yeah. it's doing a it's lot. It's working hard. Yeah. And it like gives you signals. Like we'll kind of get yeah. to like when we're hungry or that's our body's way. Like we get signals when we're hungry as our body's way of saying it like needs more calories when we're satisfied. It means that we can stop eating and then it will repeat when it needs more energy. Mm-hmm. Like our body is handling it. You can, you can back off, focus on other things like managing your stress and getting enough sleep and yeah, meal planning. So you can eat enough, like all those things. Yeah. Cause we get lots of questions about what the best detox is, or yeah. should I do this cleanse program? Or even we just see social media trends that are, I feel like celebrities are the biggest culprits of this. Yeah. Like I, like I was big... thinking when I was like making the outline for this, I was thinking like the Kardashians and Jenners and Gwyneth Paltrow. Yes. Like they're big cleansers, detoxers. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, they're everywhere. And we're going to go over today how these can actually do more harm than good. So we're going to break down why you don't need to detox because there's a lot of reasons why you don't need to. And then we're going to go into what to do instead. So instead of just saying, no, don't do it. We're going to also give you some takeaway things you can focus on to adequately remove the toxins from your body without doing a weird detox juice cleanse or something like that. Yes. This would be great. Yeah, it'll be great. We're going to love it. It's going to be a great time. (laughs) So let's start off right off the bat. So a common theme of what we talked about in previous episodes, but let's just hammer it out right now with these cleanse detox programs is any type of, or any time really a program calls for cutting out food slash food groups, specifically like sugar and carbs, oftentimes get hit with these detox program, it sets you up for that binge style eating restriction pattern. So oftentimes we'll take out a food group where our body starts to crave it so much more. Oftentimes also, if it's a sugar or carb in general food group, our body runs on carbs primarily. So it's going to, we're going to feel extremely fatigued. We're going to have very strong cravings for carbs or sugar. Um, and then we'll probably restrict and avoid for a while for the detox. And then once you're off the program, we'll kind of flip to that alternative side, binge, overeat, feel awful because we just ate so much of that at once when we were restricting before. And then it's just like, oh no, I did this. I got to restrict again to detox. It's just a very vicious cycle. Yep. That's some type of cycle, but vicious. Well, yeah. And even like before you do the detox, like even thinking about having that detox, like in your mind, you know, you're going to do it next week or Monday, whatever, just by having that upcoming, you're likely going to experience what's called last supper eating, which is like a play on words of like the last supper in the Bible where they're like, you know, it's the last supper. So they overeat your brain knows when it's like even going to have future restriction and that can lead to you overeating in the time being. Whereas if you just like, don't ever plan to go on a diet or do a detox or whatever, hopefully you won't have any of that last supper eating anymore. 
Exactly, yeah. Exactly. All in all, there's a lot of people that benefit <laughs> from right. pushing the obesity epidemic narrative. So let's talk about specific, let's get into the science Ooh. and let's talk about correlation versus causation. That's like one of our <laughs> favorite phases, phrases on here. And like, let's talk about the difference of these. So last week we talked about what if I need to lose weight for health reasons and we're going to get into it right now. This is what you've been waiting for. Welcome back. <laughs> we're glad you, you're here. So despite what healthcare professionals and the popular media is telling you, there's no current research that states that having a higher weight or body fat percentage causes, underlining causing that word, put causes in bold, in italics, make it multiple fonts bigger, causes disease like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. Those tend to be like the big three that people like to talk about. Oh, yeah. There's potentially a correlation, underlining correlation, where some people in larger bodies may have these diseases, but the diseases are not caused by body size. I feel like I can speak most strongly in like the renal health field where the two biggest causes of or the two most common causes of kidney disease are diabetes and hypertension. And I've had multiple conversations with people whenever they inevitably ask me about what I do. And then I am not smart enough uh, to uh, lie uh, about uh, it. Uh. <laughs> I like to throw renal in front of it so they don't start asking me about what the best way to lose weight is. So I'm always like, oh. uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had conversations with people where they're like, oh, so like, oh, where they hear I work with like people with end, with end stage renal disease and they're like, oh, like you must do a lot of weight loss because a lot of them are like overweight and that like caught, like affected their kidney function. And I'm like, uh, 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 no, uh. <laughs> actually the two most common causes are diabetes and hypertension. And the large majority to like why it led to kidney failure is because one, they didn't have accessible like healthcare or they didn't have accessible like nutrition. They were just kind of eating whatever they could afford or genetics. I've had so many patients and I'm not going to say like diabetes and there are other causes besides diabetes and hypertension where they've had like other very like interesting diagnosis that have led to kidney failure and they were like some of the most health focused people I've ever known to the point to a fault we'll say like to a fault they're a little bit too involved in their nutrition and physical activity and they still develop kidney failure yes and I'm like no it is not their weight that led to this kidney failure and Obviously, I don't go through all that explanation because one, I'm saving my energy for like. Protect your peace, girl. <laughs> yes, but it's just goes to show that there's so much more that a disease 
than body weight, something that like one is not very well defined. Like obesity is obviously not defined. Very Two, the causation and correlation component play a huge role in this. There are, there are too many factors. And also the lack of research is, it's, it's crazy. For how many researchers are behind it, there's a lot of correlation. <laughs> right. And not- well, because they can't show that it causes it because it doesn't cause it in every case. Like it's impossible to prove. And that's why it hasn't been proved. Proven, yeah. not proved. Wow. I sound like a real scientist using bad grammar. That's <laughs> why we are not in academia. <laughs> and then like Hannah said, actually, I don't know if you said this. I might be confusing this with like the other 50 episodes. We talked about what we said. Yes. But we said this, that like, there isn't any evidence that says weight loss, uh, weight loss, weight loss, <laughs> weight loss alone cannot improve a person's health or lower their risk of disease. Like weight loss and weight changes in weight is not a behavioral change. It's an outcome. People make like changes to their dietary habits, their physical activity levels, things like that might lead to weight loss, but it's not like, oh, I'm going to start like compare, like I'm going to start eating a vegetable a day compared to like, I'm going to start losing weight. And suddenly it happens. That's not how it works. Right. Right. I don't think I said that this episode, but I've definitely said that until I was blue in the face a million other times. <laughs> and I probably will just continue to say it until everyone understands it. But yeah, we have this concept because again, of diet culture and all those things that, okay, but what about like type two diabetes and heart disease? It's all because people are getting fatter, right? but we don't have any evidence that shows that direct correlation there or that direct causation, excuse me, there is correlation, but there's not causation. Um, and those are very different things. So we just can't say that if someone has type two diabetes, that losing weight is going to get rid of their type two diabetes. It's just not how it works. People of all size bodies get heart disease, type two diabetes, have bad knees, have bad backs. It's just more complex than that one data point, the number on the scale. <sighs> so fun. <laughs> so fun. I'm so glad we went into this as a profession. <laughs> uh, our next issue, we'll just keep this fun train going, <laughs> is maintaining long-term weight loss is difficult and not even always possible. Like it's not, I know I'm going to trigger Hannah. It's not as simple as a calorie deficit. <laughs> Like genetics plays a role into our weight. Social determinants of health play a role. Our like body's natural biochemical processes fight against weight loss. The body does not like to change and weight loss is a pretty big change and it will fight to remain stable, maintain that homeostasis. But like it just goes to show that intuitive eating is not just like abandoning like all nutrition education and like meal planning and prepping or like maybe some kind of like diet culture-esque like meal and snack ideas like the protein pudding there are plenty of diet culture-y people recommending that as like a weight loss food for example but like I love it I make it quite a bit but I'm not 
eating it as like a weight loss food. I'm just like eating it because it tastes good. It is high in protein. So it's very filling. Yeah. I like to add a little gentle nutrition and like add some strawberries on top or whatever. I was going to, I was going to say that part or like, just because like it has more protein in it yes. or like it has fruits or vegetables does not mean that it's diet culture ridden. It doesn't own everything. Diet culture does no. not own foods. <laughs> diet culture doesn't own our protein yeah. or our fruits or vegetables. Yeah. And you're going to feel good eating those and your meal planning and prepping hopefully does include those things. So you do feel good. Yeah. Like intuitive eating when tying it into meal planning is not going to be like you planning to eat pizza every single day of the week. That would feel terrible. It means you can totally include pizza, but it likely won't mean that you're having it every day. And it also means giving yourself the permission and freedom to like stray from it as well. Like, yeah, if you have a, I always give this example for some reason, like if you have a chili planned for Tuesday, but come Tuesday, either you're exhausted and don't want to make chili or it just doesn't sound good. Like you can stray from that and that's totally fine. Yeah. I think you already talked about like this, like how, like, it sounds like we're taking away almost like structure to people's lives that they felt like, or like control that they had over their life. But like, it can help you like build trust with your body again. And like, just thinking about like, you don't have to think about like, oh my gosh, what is my if you're like really 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 deep into it like how many grams of protein do I need at every meal like really into that mindset it doesn't have to be that deep but it is okay to like think about like I need protein right I would I would like protein or I'd feel better or I know myself better. I feel better if I had a protein source Exactly at these meals. Like it's a lot of like, just making you think a little bit more about your food decisions, which like probably sounds like we don't want you to do that. Cause like we often talk about like the obsession around food, but it's more of like going to the basis of like, what can I eat throughout the week? Or like, what are some options I can make or like prep for myself that will either like help me feel satisfied or like crave or like honor craving that I might have, or even like give me that easy convenience piece, but still there's a lot that goes into it, but at the same time, there's like net that goes into it or like, it doesn't need to be all these different things you're thinking about. Yeah. I feel like speaking of diet culture, like it really has co-opted like meal planning and prepping, but like, we've been doing this forever. It's just like yeah. how you think of it now is probably different because diet culture has painted that picture likely of what we described at the very beginning of gym bros and the black Tupperware with the plastic lids and chicken, broccoli and rice. But yeah, people who have been feeding themselves forever have been doing some amount of some degree of meal planning and prepping and shopping. I love when literally is you, I, as a literally, I am an advocate for the word literally. I use that all the time, but it cracks me up whenever I see any type of argument, especially nutrition, when it's like, this is literally the truth or like this, they literally recommended it. Why would my doctor not recommend something that would not benefit me? And why would they be wrong? We understand that eating 
a crazy amount of carbs is probably not going to be great for you. Fine. But that does not mean that less than 50 grams of carb a day is what is good for you. It is not. Your, ba- your body prefers glucose as a source of energy, which it gets from carbs. Your brain runs on that primarily. That's what your body's, your body's cells need to utilize for energy. Depriving it and is not. And what, what is beneficial? Wait. What is beneficial me? The whole, every comment was like, weight loss, weight loss, weight loss. I lost so much weight. It worked because I lost weight. Yeah. So yep. we'll get to that. But yeah, that's like often the main thing. We just talked about diabetes, the special guest. So you guys will be hearing mm-hmm. that in a few, a few weeks. Um, that's the other big one though, is it helps for diabetes and PCOS, but even if it does or did for you, that doesn't mean that everyone who has PCS or diabetes has to go through this terrible diet to improve their symptoms. Yeah. Something that dramatic and something I just looked at what you made a note of is like low carb doesn't mean keto. Those yes. are not the same thing. Low carb, I think is less than hundred grams. Keto mm-hmm. is less than 50 and moderate, I think is less than 150 grams. I'm trying to, I think you're right. Those yeah. are the tiers. Um, but they're not the same. hundred grams of carbon is very different than less than 50. Um, and then low carb does not equate to low sugar. They're different right. types of, I mean, let's, let's, let's back it up a little bit. Carbs are sugar. Glucose is sugar. Fructose is sugar sucrose is sugar, lactose is sugar. So maybe in one sense they're low carbon, low sugar equivalent, but I'm making an assumption and we know we should never make assumptions, but this is from the internet. So I normally, when they say sugar, it's related to sucrose. Those are not like low sucrose is not the same thing as low carb. Right. You can cut out sucrose or like table sugar, or like the sugar you get in like most of your sweets and still be eating plenty of carbs elsewhere. That's not the same. It's important that you know you do not need to quantify your exercise to be worthy or be considered like, I don't know, healthy or whatnot. You don't need to track it and hit the specific goal to feel good about yourself. Like you're doing great as is. Any movement's good movement, as we always emphasize. and you do not need to be wearing your watch for exercise to count. And I know this is something that a lot of people struggle with a lot where like they will intentionally like, oh my gosh, I didn't have my watch to track it. It didn't count toward my workouts. It didn't count toward my rings. It didn't count toward my goal. And then they get stressed out about it, even though they were still, they still got out there and moved, which was great at the end of the day. Like you hit your goal. It just wasn't tracked. And that's something where we've developed a little bit of a dependence on the watch with that. And you do not need to be movement without your watch is still movement. Yeah. Even if it's not recorded. Have you seen the TikToks of the people who put their watch on their ankles, like while they're on, like they're walking treadmills, like while they're working? No. Yeah. They like have to have it on, but it's like bothering on them on their wrist. So they put it around their ankle instead. So it like has to count their steps. Yeah. 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 That's no bueno. 
And like, again, like it's great to have goals and like better yourself, but yeah, but not everything has obsessive. to count towards it. Yeah. And like, you're still getting your steps, whether you are wearing a watch that tells you you did or not. Yeah. Tisk, tisk, tisk. <laughs> it's okay though. It's good to one, reflect on this and then yes. to like, do I have this relationship with my fitness tracker? And if you don't, great. If you do, let's reflect on it and yeah. then maybe challenge some of those thoughts. Yeah. And work from there. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your host, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.